All right, here we go. Day two, assurance uh, of salvation. Let me do this before we get going. Let me pray, and we will dive into it. Holy Father, we thank you yet again for another day at Summer Conference. Father, I'm not sure where these individual souls are in their relationship with you. I'm not sure exactly what's on their conscience, but I can only imagine that there are those of us in here who are wrestling with all the things we've been hearing this week. Maybe just intellectually, maybe affectionately in our hearts, maybe practically of what does this mean. Father, we seek this morning to open up your word and to proclaim it to them, to these people who are like me, we're desperately in need of hearing your power, your gospel. And you know what we need. And so, Father, I'm asking that by the power of the Spirit, you would direct all of us to behold the glories of Christ. And as we see Him, may we believe and may we know, may we be assured that He loves us, that He will keep us, and that He will bring us all the way home. We ask all this in His name. Amen. Amen. Come on in, fellas. Okay. Uh... Oh man, is there a uh, is there is there a sink back there? Yes. Okay. Uh, Walker, can you fill me up just the uh, just some water in there? Oh man. Okay. Hey, does anyone have any questions from yesterday or just anything on insurance? Yes. Go for it. Okay. So you keep talking about the the us as believers. Yes. Um, Thanks, dude. What about? Yes. Great question. Yes. Okay. Um, so, do you remember this right here? Yeah. Romans 5, 12 through 21. Great question. The question is, how, how, does, this, uh, how does this affect non-believers? In Romans 5, it's telling us that there, there's two covenants. There's the covenant of works and the covenant of grace. Everyone ever in humanity, gosh, you are the goat. Oh my goodness. Thank you. Lord bless you and keep you. Uh, personal personal benediction there. Uh, so everyone who's ever existed is born in a relationship with God. The question is which one? Is it a relationship of the covenant of works, meaning that I deal with God based on what I do? Or is it in the covenant of grace where I deal with God based on what Jesus has done? So unbelievers would still be in the covenant of works, which would mean that God is still looking at them saying, you must perfectly obey the law if you're going to have any blessings. Now, I will give you common grace. I'll fill your lungs with breath. I'll let your eyes behold wonders in this world. I'll let your tongue taste amazing food. I'll let you relate to other people. But you are still under the curse of sin. Well, aren't we all though? Yes, yes. Until you're transplanted from the covenant of words to the covenant of grace, you're still affected by the curse 
But the blessing of Jesus is the greater story of your life. Here, and we'll build up to this. Great, this is a great question. In the covenant works, the curse is affecting me in body and soul, internally and externally, objectively, subjectively. And my life is gripped by that curse. But now, in Jesus Christ, because he took the curse for me, now, even when I might have the worst possible sin, or if someone sins in the worst possible way against me, this is where Romans 8, 28 is amazing. God will work some things, yeah, some things for my good. That's what it says, right? Yeah. What? All things. All things. There we go. Very fine. Like me and you are on the same page here. Um, all things. In other words, even the worst, because Jesus took the curse, the worst possible things, he knows how to reverse the curse in my life. Now, whether that fully happens here, or I'll see it in glory, you know, we only have like a down payment of our, an appetizer, as it were, here in this life. And the full course meals come later. But what's amazing, and this is huge for assurance, is that only the believer, but every believer has that promise. That God will reverse the curse for sin and suffering. So this covenant of grace is offered to everyone, believers and non-believers. But the only way to actually receive it is to be a believer and accept. Correct. Yeah, correct. Does that help? Yes. Great question. Great question. Good. Any other questions? That's a good one. All right, y'all ready to dive in? We're going to really hit Romans 6, 7, and 8 today. Before we get going, um, let me tell you a story. Uh, I was preaching sort of two years ago, and... uh, like the suspenseful water drink. Uh, I was preaching on Luke 7, 36 to 50, in this, to this church in the Oklahoma City area. Luke 7, 36 to 50 is a story about the woman who's most likely a prostitute. She crashes the dinner party with Jesus, and she's weeping on his feet in front of the Pharisees, and they're like, whoa, this is super awkward. And she's wiping his feet uh, with her tears, with her hair, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And they're like, uh, who can do that? You remember that story? Yeah. yeah. So I'm preaching that. The couple days before that, I've been listening to this audio book called House to House, which is by this guy named David Bellavia, who had fought in the Iraq War, particularly in the Battle of Fallujah. And if you know anything about modern war history, the Battle of Fallujah is one of the most gruesome, bloody battles we've had in you know, probably the past 20, 25 years. It, it was truly horrific. And in this audiobook, after he has fought in some of these battles, he's seen horrible things, he's done horrible things, and he talks about how the chaplain at one point comes up to him and says, Sergeant Bellavia, can I pray for you? Now, in his audiobook, he says that he was thinking in that moment. If God knew the things that I've done and He knew the things that I've seen, I don't think that He would be wanting to save me or have someone pray for me. 
Now, as I'm listening to that audiobook, I'm like, oh, that's a great, like, negative illustration of what Luke 7 is about. Because Luke 7 is saying that anyone can be saved, anyone can be forgiven, no matter what's happened in their life. So I was kind of using that as like an anti-illustration. So I used it. A couple hours later on Sunday, I get a text from the pastor of that church that I was preaching at. And he forwards me a text from one of his congregation members. And can't, can't make this up. He said, tell Pastor Wilson that I too fought in the battle of Fallujah. And I've been dealing with those same thoughts that Sergeant Bellavia has dealt with for the last however many years that's been. You know, 10, 15 years. Until I heard this text from, from Luke 7, I thought there's no way that God could forgive me. You can't make that up. Why do, why do I give you that illustration? It was just in the Lord's providence. It was definitely not in my own storytelling. It was in the Lord's providence that I happened to be listening to that audiobook and the Lord brought it to mind and made me think like, oh, that'd be a great way to you know, illustrate the negative end of the point I'm trying to make. I had no clue that guy was there. But God did. And God is determined for you to know from his word. Now notice this. Notice the guy didn't say like, oh, it was that story. No, no, no. It was the scripture. Because God's determined, dear believer, God's determined that you would know that you are his. And that's why we want to keep looking back to the word. I, I just think that story is just so awesome because it's essentially the point I'm trying to make is that if you, if you keep obsessing over your own self, your sin, your suffering, your past, your present, or what could be in the future, and you leave Jesus out of the picture, you're going to really struggle with assurance of salvation. You've got to bring Jesus in the picture. Amen? Amen. There we go. I know, I mean, look, it's Friday, and, uh, but we're we going we to try to try to stay awake today. Amen. Come on now. Yeah. I feel like you're my long-lost sister here. Um, <laughs> Alright, let me do two things for some housekeeping because I think it's helpful. Uh, Christians aren't crazy, though sometimes you can feel like you're crazy. One of the things that happens in the Christian life, as I mentioned earlier, uh, or mentioned yesterday, you have to learn to discern what voice you're hearing. Now, don't like to make that sound like creepy, you know, overly spiritual, but it's just discerning the thought that you have. Is that thought truly coming from God or is it coming from the evil one? That's huge because when you learn to discern which voice it is, you can learn to say, okay, I need to keep thinking about that or I don't even need to go there. Because if it's not from the Lord, then why would you entertain that thought? What God does, this is a great list, take a picture of it, it's helpful. But here's, here's the ultimate thing here. Is that thought, or the voice as it were, is it leading you to Jesus with all your sin and with all your suffering? Or is it keeping you obsessed with yourself? Is it keeping you in self-condemnation? 
Or is it leading you to Jesus who literally came for the purpose of forgiving you and cleansing you and clothing you with his righteousness and helping you repent, right? Godly shame, which is, we need to remember this in our culture today, there, God uses shame. And we should feel shame for, for our sins. That's what conviction is. But what godly shame does is that when it comes to me, it leads me to Jesus who takes my shame away, right? Ungodly shame is this. Ungodly shame is when it just keeps me saying, woe is me. I can't find cleansing. I can't find repentance. I can't find forgiveness or whatever it might be. It keeps me focused on self. And it either leads me to self-despair or it leads me to say, well, now I need to go and live a life to make up for what I've done. That's not godly shame. But if it's making me in my heart saying, Lord, please forgive me. Lord, please let me know that Jesus is enough. That's a good sign, right? That's actually what's kind of weird whenever you're convicted of sin. And what Satan loves to do is he loves to ride on the coattails of God's good works, and then he tries to manipulate it. So God leads you to conviction of sin, but then he loves to ride on the coattails of that conviction and then just keep you in condemnation. But rather, we need to learn to say, no, 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 God's convicting me of this sin because he wants me to bring it to him. That's the whole point. Because he literally exists to do that for you and me. Amen? That's the whole reason why Jesus came. So I think, I think that's a helpful list right there. It's, you know, it's, uh, some, some of those are, um, you know, I'd want to tease out, but we don't have time. But hopefully maybe a picture or if you have the slides. You can always, yeah, I got, I've had several people asking for them. I'll send you these slides if you want them. Here's another thing too. Very, very important. Y'all ever uh, read the book or uh, heard the, the the song that me and my wife have heard so many times? We're going on a bear hunt. Raise your hand if you've read that book, heard that song. Okay, but just don't don't go on YouTube. It'll you'll hear it in your sleep. Um, but uh, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> but two two men taught me a very important truth. One guy by the name of Chase Maxey, another guy by the name of John Kwasney, and they taught me two, they both taught me this important truth. Which hunt are you going on? Are you going on a sin hunt or are you going on a grace hunt? Now, who's been hunting? Raise your hand to hunt. Deer hunting. Okay? Now, when you're deer hunting, and notice I'm saying hunting, not hunting, um, you know, when you go deer hunting, you're in stands. Early in the morning, the sun's rising, and you try to get in the stand, you know, while it's still dark, so that way when life begins to wake up and move around, it's you know, you're already uh, you know hidden and you're not seen. And as life begins to stir around, you're you're looking in the field, and you know this that sometimes if you're looking at your phone while you're hunting, you can look down and then look up, and you're like, there are two deer in the field. You're like, how did they get there? They're just super sneaky. So you're learning to constantly look out to see what's there. The problem is when you're deer hunting, oh, I just did, I put a G on the end. I apologize. <coughs> Please forgive me, my accent ancestors. Um, uh, 
when you're looking out in the field, a squirrel will rustle in the leaves. And you're looking around, like, where is that? Could it be a deer? A bird is, you know, fluttering its wings. You're following everything because you're trying to see, is a deer going to be there? Why do I give the illustration? Because one of the things we do in, our, in uh, the Christian life or just with others is that we love to be constantly on the look to see is there sin in our lives or in others' lives. So what we do when we go on a sin hunt, we focus on the sin, the failures, the mistakes. What we can do there if we're not careful is that we'll only, we'll only tell ourselves half the story. So when you're on a sin hunt, you'll focus primarily on what have I done in the past? You know, what's, what's wrong with me right now in the present? If you're a believer and you're only going on a sin hunt, you're, only, you're, you're short-selling yourself on the true story of your life. You need to go on a grace hunt. Because if you're in the covenant of grace, then grace is the greater, as it were, power in your life. There is sin in your life. We talked about that yesterday. You've got to call sin for what it is. But sin is not your whole story. So one of the things you have to do in your own thought life is that whenever you see your sin, you need to double down on God's grace for you right then and there. You need to bring Jesus into the picture. You need to see where God is at work. I'll give you an illustration of practically how this has worked out for me. Actually, back in uh, Jackson, Mississippi, I was, uh, I was at the doctor's office, and I just had this massive wave of spiritual warfare hit me. And I'm sitting there in like the lobby waiting area, and, uh, and as I'm sitting there, I'm really struggling. I literally pull out my phone, and I make two different columns on my notes. On the left column, I go on a sin hunt. I'm just like, here's just all the messed up stuff in my life right now. And let's just say it got to like number 16. I'll, I like to number them because I'll show you why. But then, because these guys taught me this, then I went on a grace hunt. It was easily, and it did not take long to get to this, but when I actually started looking, it easily doubled that to see how much more God was at work or how many more promises he had of my own forgiveness and the grace he had. Here's the question. Are you going on a grace hunt with yourself? Now, that's not excusing sin. But are you also bringing God in the picture? And sometimes you might literally need to, like, you know, uh, write out, like, a you know, pros and cons column or whatever it might be. Because you need to see where all God is at work. Because your past, your present, and your future is not the full story of who you are, but Jesus in your past, in your present, and your future is the full story. Amen? Amen. Whoo, let's get going. Romans 6, open up there. Holy moly. It's like speed dating for a seminar. We're just like trying to get through it. Romans 6. Um, Ivy Bob, can I call on you? Can you read loud and clear uh, Romans 6, 1 through 4?
don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Awesome. Thank you. Guys, Ivy Bob hails from Montgomery, Alabama. Say so what up? Um, that's where I'm from. Uh, so, no, notice what Paul's doing here. Verse 1 of chapter 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? You know, he just said in chapter 5, verse 20, you have a lot of sin, but grace is even greater. So the question that logically comes up is, well, if that's the case, then why don't we just... Eat, drink, be merry, because it doesn't really matter. We have forgiveness. Notice that Paul does not say, no, you need to be obedient or else. What does he do? He says, remember who you are. But he doesn't just say, remember who you are. But particularly, he's wanting you to say, remember whose you are. Come on. I got you. Connected. Connected, yeah. Let me give you an example. My last semester at Tulane, uh, a beach blonde, six foot three guy rolls up into our locker room and he's a really nice guy. Uh, He he would eventually become a good friend. um, You know, nice guy. He he was a a quarterback, had a good arm. Kind of thought, like, yeah, this guy's probably going to be our starter. And uh, guys were getting along with him. And I was like, yeah, this is a cool dude. Well, then I found out his name was Nick Montana, who is the son of Joe Montana, who is the second greatest player of all time, because we all know Tom Brady is the greatest player of all time. Go Patriots. Um, What do you think happened in my mind when I began to go from, here's a cool dude, to then I realized, okay, now this is whose this guy is. What do you think happened in my mind? (laughs) <laughs> uh, you're, 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 you're honest. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it, the question, not just who this guy was, but whose this guy was, it changed the game. I want you to think about this. In the battle of assurance for salvation, you can't just think about who you are. You have to think about whose you are. Now, we're obsessed with the question today, who am I? As a matter of fact, if we're not careful, even in Reformed theology, we can talk about Christianity as if it's just enhancing me becoming the best me that I can be. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is me having my whole life being Jesus's. That I belong to him. Now, it is true that because of that, a result is that he will make me be the glorified self that I can never be on my own. That's true. But if I'm more focused on I want to be the best me that I can be, then I'm really still idolizing me rather than worshiping Jesus. But see, when I think about whose I am and the righteousness that I have, that changes the game. Let's take Luke 7. You, go, you love that, right? You say, you say something, you drink a sip, and you're like, what's the point? Where's he going to say next? Um, Luke 7. Jesus has that woman come to him, and she's just has, she has so much of a past. 
that the Pharisees are looking at her saying, she is literally the whole thing we don't want our children to be. Jesus looks at her. He acknowledges her. He moves towards her. He forgives her. He assures her. Notice this. Three times he tells her, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Do you think Jesus means it when he says it? The very righteous act of Jesus forgiving her because of my union with Jesus Christ, that act is now mine. It is as if I did that. And that's how God looks at me. Amen? When it says here in Romans 6 that we've been baptized into Christ Jesus, it means I'm in union with Him. Wherever I go, He goes. But also this, wherever He goes, I go. Is Jesus in heaven? It is as if I already have one foot in heaven because He's there, and if He's there, so am I. Wherever I go, even if I plummet into the worst sin or suffering, He comes with me. And He is sufficient for those moments. You see, this is what our baptism actually points to. This is the whole, this is the whole uh, thing about Romans 6. Baptism is a sign and seal that we, by faith, are united to Jesus Christ. Notice that baptism is by water and no longer by blood. You know, it used to be by blood because the sign was circumcision. That was a bloody sign. But Jesus was the finality of the bloody sign. And now we get the cleansing water. We talk a lot about in Reformed theology. Uh, it's in our Westminster uh, catechisms where, where we'll say we need to improve on our baptism. And you're like, what in the world does that mean? It means this. By reflecting on what has happened to me. Do you know this? Whenever you see in worship, when you witness another baptism, you're not merely sitting back there as an audience member saying, like, oh, that's great for them. You are participating because you're remembering and seeing what's happened there, and you're saying, this is what's happened to me. I've been baptized. And as surely as water washes someone, so Jesus' blood washes me. Amen? Amen. I'm in union with Him. you got to bring Jesus in the picture. Now, when it says here that we've been united with Jesus in His death, and we've also been united with Jesus in His resurrection, we need to remember that as Jesus died for our sins, so when I become a believer, I time travel back 2,000 years ago to die with Him. And that means this. We'll get into this in Romans 7. Even though I still struggle with sin, the greatest power in my life is the resurrection of Jesus. It is no longer sin. Sin might still be present, but the penalty and the power of it is taken away. Where's this thing? Come on, girl. Golly! He gets you to co-teach this class with me. Now, let me give you a case study. A uh, girl grew up in a pastor's home. Uh, this might describe uh, many of y'all in different ways. Uh, but her dad began living an unrepentant life. The home uh, was borderline abusive, and it basically became, it was as if her father 
but she never had a father. She was a believer, but then in her high school years, she started struggling with same-sex attraction. In college, she began to grow a lot in her understanding of the gospel, and she was even repentant. She, she really was. She was confessing, and she was repenting, but yet she still struggled with those temptations. But then at one point, she was recommended to go to a certain Christian counselor, and there is a reason I'll put that in quotations, uh, because the counsel that they gave her was contrary to what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Because they told her that she was a same-sex attracted person. That's just her identity. That's who she was. It's one thing to describe your experience, but it's a whole other thing to define yourself. That's very important. It described her experience, but if she's a believer, does it define who she is? No. Here's what happened because of that counsel. She began to feel terrible because she was being equated with her sin. So therefore, it's not just that I'm a sinner who struggles with sin, even though I'm striving to repent, but now they're telling me my identity is my sin. That's just who I am. And she began to grow in despair. You can see how that happens, right? How would this text in Romans 6, how might that give her good news? You are defined by what your past is or what your present is. Yes. Now, this, now, one thing to remember about these case studies is one thing to give these answers in this setting is a whole other thing to spend the time gently, patiently asking questions, meeting with them, whatever. This took numerous different meetings. But then, yes, that's exactly it. Getting to the point of saying, I know it's hard. But the good news for you is this. Is that Jesus is your identity. This might be a, this might be a struggle for you. This might be a temptation that you're, you're fighting against. And you're lifting up even just... The, even the desire itself, even if you don't live out on it, the desire itself is still sin. And you might just be looking at yourself saying, woe is me, but Jesus is greater than your sin. Amen? Amen. Amen. Do you know what that did for her? It totally changed the game. Because now she didn't have to look at herself as if her primary identity was that she was a sinner. Her primary identity, despite her sin, though it was true, but despite her sin, her primary identity was in Christ. That's amazing. And that's a huge thing for today. It's a very big thing for today because that even when the temptation feels so strong, feels so prevalent, it feels like you're battling against this for so long, you have to remember that Jesus is greater than your sin. Do you have a question? Yeah. Yeah. Can we, are we, basically through this, are we saying that our sin doesn't define us, but it's basically a roadmap to who we are in Christ? Define what you mean by roadmap, so I'm not assuming. Um, like, because we cannot be perfect, because only Jesus and God can be perfect, there, we will have sin in our life. And that sin using this stuff, like what we're learning here, yeah, yeah. is leading us to Christ. In a sense, yes. In a sense, yes. But I would also just want to be careful that 
Because sometimes if we're not careful, then we can say, well, if that's the case, by implication, I'm not saying you're saying this, but by implication, someone might think, if that's the roadmap to Jesus, then I just really need to stay absorbed with, like, the sin. Does that make sense? So in one sense, yes, you're correct, because there's all, you know, the bad news leads to the good news. But let's always make sure that uh, we're not just tacking on the good news at the end, but the good news is filtrated throughout. Does that help? Yes. Great question. Second half of Romans 6, look at verses 12 through 14. I, I can't hit everything uh, for whatever this is worth. Like I, I preached through this for RUF, so if you want to be someone other than my mom and my dad who listen to these, they're on our Oklahoma State podcast. Uh, but I just want to hit a couple of these. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. That word reign is kingship language. In other words... Don't let sin be your king, because now that you're a believer, Jesus is your king. To make you obey its passions. Do not present your members, let's talk about your body. Don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. In other words, Paul's saying, yes, pursue the Lord. Obey His law. But not as a way to earn your salvation and not as a way to keep your salvation. No, no, no. Jesus has handled all that. But don't keep giving yourself to sin because that's not who you are. You need to change the way you think about yourself. You need to change the way... Uh, you know, you think about your relationship with the Lord. I, I love this scene from Step Brothers when they make the bunk beds and like so much room for activities. And he does that like weird toe touch. Um, and it, the Christian life, like, it's learning to realize, like, forgive me for the pun, that there is now so much room for holy activities. <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah, you're free from the tyranny of sin, and you're free. For pursuing righteousness. Amen? Amen. That's good. God's law's good. When he says do not covet, he says do not covet because coveting will only hurt you and hurt others. When he says do not commit adultery, he means because treating others with purity and love and selflessness is good for you and it's good for others and it's glorifying to God. And it makes a happy life. Um... I want to get to the case study. Uh, I'd love to talk about more of these, especially the three uses of the law, because that's really important. Uh, This is also one of my favorite memes, even though this picture right here is super creepy. Um, But this kind of describes this one person. This actually happened. This is kind of more of a conglomerate of many different people who have counseled for this. But this young man in college, Jake, read that for me. Thanks, Jake. A young man in college who has been a Christian most of his life has developed an addiction to pornography. He sees his sin as merely a mental impairment or an urge that needs to be satisfied. He starts to downplay pornography as just something sexual beings do. Plus, God will forgive him anyway. He begins really struggling with knowing that God loves him. How do you think this text in Romans 6, 12 through 14, how do you think this might counsel someone like this? Go for it. I would say that 
I would say that because he's now placed under this new covenant, his life is no longer it's no longer defined by this sin, but rather he now has the opportunity to have grace and be given new life. What he thinks is a mental imperity is simply just the sad reality that sin still can attack us and hurt us, yeah. but it doesn't have a hold over your life. Yes. Now, that is not this very, very true. Now, to be sure, uh, Christians very much can still struggle with addictions. It's very true. But the addiction is not the greatest power in your life. Now, don't hear me say this. That does not mean, well, just mind never mattered. Get over it. No, you, you really need to work hard and speaking with someone, having someone apply the gospel because sin is still, in a way, powerful, but it's not the greatest power in your life. But it's still more powerful than you think. What's happened with this guy, and I've seen it with, with girls too, whether pornography or with other sins, is that they begin telling themselves, this is just the way it is, I might as well keep giving into this. But sin has a numbing effect. It does not take away the love of God from you, but it can hurt your experience of the love of God for you. That's why Paul is saying, don't keep presenting your members to sin. Whatever the sin in your life, or uh, let's just be honest, there's sins in our life. Whatever it might be. Anything from pornography just to like anger and bitterness. Um... Because that can numb. Of course this guy begins to struggle with assurance of salvation because he keeps giving himself over and over to the sin. And so now this is kind of like a different case where for this one I want to be like, hey brother, I know this is difficult, but we've got to fight against this. Now I'm, I'm bringing in the grace of God. I'm showing him like there's so much forgiveness for you, but you must repent. Now, let's talk about strategies. Let's, let's get very practical, all those different things. I, I've done numerous different things with people. Um, Jake's done it as well. Jake's also done a really good job of doing this with guys. Um, and you do, you do have to get practical. But we have to remember, it is not legalistic to tell someone you must repent. You must bring that sin to Jesus. And you must continually, over and over, when you feel that urge, when you feel that temptation, you must... Literally, in that moment, bring it to the Lord saying, Lord, help. You might still sin, but never doubt that the Lord is the greatest power in your life. And over time, he will help you. Amen? Amen. Romans 7. Uh, look at verses 1 through 3. Who wants to read that for me, loud and clear? Romans 7, 1 through 3. Yes, go for it. Now, Paul's given this illustration because he's, he's just talked about, okay, present yourselves to God, like live in gospel obedience. But then the question is, well, what's our relationship with God's law now? 
Well, we know from earlier, if we're a believer, now that we're in the covenant of grace, our relationship with God's law, the law's not telling us, do this and be saved. The law's telling us, it is done. Now you can live. Jesus has fulfilled the law, but now He's going to work in your life so that you can learn to obey the law. It's not for salvation. It's not even to keep salvation. But it is for your sanctification. So Paul gives this illustration about uh, a, a married woman saying that if she were to leave her husband while he's still alive and she were to go marry someone else, she'd be committing adultery. But if he dies, well then she's free to marry someone else. Bring your Romans 6 hats back on. It said we were united with Christ in His death, right? So when you become a believer, you've died with Christ. So Paul's telling you, you've died to your old relationship to the law when the law said, you better be good or else. In other words, this, that's not your reality with God's law anymore. Now your new relationship with God's law is this. The law is your friend. You know Talladega Nights? I'm just using all these Will Ferrell illustrations. Uh, Talladega Nights, when Ricky Bobby, he's getting his first interview, and he's like, what do I do with my hands? Uh, sometimes the Christian life is like that. Uh, you're like, you know, all right, Lord, I love you, and I know you love me. What do I do with my hands? Um, the law. Lord, how do I express my love for you, and how do I express my love for others? The law. But not in such a way where it's like, you better obey or else. No. Jesus is always the fulfillment of the law. Matter of fact, you have no power to obey the law were it not for your union with Jesus. But now the law is a friend. A friend who wants to walk life with you saying, here's an opportunity. Here's another opportunity. Here's where I can show you. You failed here, but let me show you the law keeper. And the more you look at him, and he's going to transform you so that you're going to want to live like him more. But then there's also this. All right, long lost sister, read for me. What's your name? Oh, Cynthia. Cynthia. Can you read for me? Let's do Romans 7, verses 15 through 20. 15 through 20. understand myself for what I want to do is right but I don't do it instead I do what I hate but if I know that I am doing what is what I'm doing is wrong this shows that I agree that the law is good so I am not the one doing wrong it is sin living in me and that does it and I know that nothing good lives in me that is my sinful nature I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyways. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Awesome. Thank you. Do y'all, I mean, this is long shot, do y'all by chance know who this guy was? So th- th- this is a guy who uh, he fought. He, he was a Japanese man who fought in World War II. And uh, when World War II was over, the, the soldiers of Japan, do you know the story? Yeah, he, was, yeah, like, he didn't realize it was over, so he kept fighting for like another 40 years. It, it, it was wild. 
wild stuff. They dropped pamphlets. They did whatever it took. They were like, dude, the war's done. But he was so loyal uh, to Japan that he thought, like, until I'm dead, I'm going to keep fighting. This is actually, I'm not trying to like equate him with sin, but just this tactic. As, as the war was over, but he kept fighting what was called guerrilla warfare. As, as he kept fighting, people kept trying to say, it's done. The war's done, but there were still kind of some of these skirmishes that were happening. That's your relationship with sin for the believer. The war has been won by Jesus Christ, by his death, resurrection, and ascension. But you still have sin that's seeking to attack you. That's seeking to hurt you. And that's where this Romans 7 text is so key. Because Paul is talking about his own life as a Christian. And he's saying, I want to follow God, but there's still sin that lurks within me and I will have times where I disobey. I don't want to disobey. I want to follow the Lord. But there's this tension here. We kind of call this what's called the already but not yet. You are already saved, but not yet, as it were, uh, perfectly saved, as it were. You, You are totally in the hands of God, but when I mean perfectly, I mean in the sense where there's no more sin in your life. Does that make sense? Yes, who said that? Yes, you're not glorified yet, meaning that the total eradication of sin in your life. You're so secure in the hands of God that nothing can pluck you out, but yet you'll still struggle with sin. Um, I did it again. I looked at pornography again. How am I to make sense of this? I can't tell you how many times, whether it's pornography or whether it's gossip or uh, I had a student one time that was cutting. Uh, Numerous times people have made this statement. I did it again. I did that thing again. How can I make sense of this? This person and these people, they are true believers. They really are. They're confessing their sin. They're striving to repent. They want to follow Jesus. They fight against their sin. This is someone who, I think about this one person in particular who was uh, struggling with an addiction to cutting. They were coming out of the addiction, but they would still have times where, as it were, they would relapse. And every time that, that it would happen, they would, on their own, they would reach out to me and they would be in such despair how do you think this text in Romans 7 might help them understand what's going on in their life? After reading um, the text, I wrote down, why is sin still living in me then? Yes. Because um, if it says that I've been crucified, it doesn't have the yeah. power over me and stuff like that. But then I've gone back, like the devil is a prowling mind, yes, prowling yeah. yep. and everything. Um but there was a time in my life where I felt purified. I felt truly purified. I felt there's no way I'm gonna go back. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And um, I, as soon as I opened my eye gates, my ear gates to some things mm-hmm. that night, I, you know, just yep. the way that things work, I've been looking at the patterns, and it's interesting. 
Um, but I do have that question. Yeah, it's a great question. One of the things that happens in the Christian life is that we get a new nature, but there's still remnants of the old nature still there. You want to follow up on that? You want to ask another question on that? Or Okay, okay. What I'm wanting to tell people who are struggling with this is that, now this is not excusing sin. We're going to call sin for what it is. But I'm also wanting to pastorally show them This is the Christian life. You're going to fight. There's going to be times when when you sin. Sometimes willfully. Sometimes temptation just so overwhelms you in the moment and you fall in. Yeah, this this is for all of us. We all have sin that we're constantly battling against. The reality is that sin is still present in your life, but it's not the greatest power. That's why I never want to just... Only keep someone's eyes on Romans 7 alone without having Romans 6 and Romans 8. Sin is still present in your life. But here's what super, here's how I want to encourage this person who is like, they feel like maybe God doesn't love me anymore. Maybe I've been like demoted to the Christian JV team or whatever it might be. What about this part right here? They reach out voluntarily. Let me ask you a question. Who put it on their heart for them to want to reach out to someone else? Right? Who put it on their heart to make them want to know that Jesus can grant them repentance? Amen? God's at work. The very fact in Romans 7 that Paul's saying there's this tension here. Only the Christian can feel the tension. Only the Christian is actually the, two, the, the true hypocrite. I love it when people say, I, I tell our RUF and I tell our church in Stillwater all the time. Uh, you know, whenever people say, well, Christians, or the church is full of hypocrites. Well, yeah, <laughs> that is literally who we are. Where else do you expect for us to go? Christians are literally the people who have two different natures in them. One is greater than the other, but there's this warfare. Of course we're still going to sin. Christians can still do terrible things, but we don't cancel each other out. We actually lead each other to Jesus. That's who we are. Until glory. Until, frankly, like what happened yesterday, literally at at this time, 24 hours ago, with... Uh, a dear mentor of mine, Harry Reeder from Birmingham, Alabama. He's 75 years old. Senior minister of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. He is... Two weeks, two weeks ago, I saw him. He preached the greatest sermon I've ever heard in my life. And that's, that's no flattery. I, I, it, it was in Charlotte. He preached on Romans 7. I, I'd really encourage you to go look it up on YouTube. Harry Reeder... The Gospel Reformation Network Conference. I went up to Harry afterward and I just told him, I said, Brother, you did more for my soul in 50 minutes than I probably could have done for myself in 50 years. It just was the power of the Lord. And he just, he opened up the Gospel of Grace and he so unpacked this text. But the thing about Harry right now is that he has entered into glory 
And there is no longer any sin in his life. Amen? Amen. You know what's amazing? And I know we're getting close to time. We're going to get into Romans 8, but I feel like this is worth it. I I told Harry that. And he put his arm around me and and he said, because I, 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 I told him, I said, I don't know if there's ever any way I could ever pay you back for what you just delivered. He said, just go and spread that same gospel. It's amazing. And now he's in glory. A man who understood that Christians battle against sin, but there is hope coming. It is so good for you to say, I'm so ready to be done with the sin in totality. The only way you have that desire, if it's a Christ-centered desire, the only way you have that is because God's at work in your life. So actually, when you feel that tension of saying, Lord Jesus, I just want to worship you fully with nothing holding me back, that's from Jesus. God's at work in your life. Amen? Let's get into Romans 8. Look at Romans 8 verse 1. There is therefore now some condemnation. Is that what it says? There you go. Make sure you're awake. There is therefore now no condemnation. Now, this is so important because when Paul originally wrote this letter, he did not say, okay, chapter 8, verse 1. That was not there. That, that was put in there later to help us locate where this stuff is. This was a continuous letter. What does that mean? On the heels of Paul just saying, I still struggle with sin. In that very moment, there's no more condemnation. If you are a believer, what Paul is saying is that no matter how bad your sin is, no matter how bad the sin against you is, there is never, ever condemnation against you. Amen? Amen. Ever. So when you are having these condemning thoughts in your life, now it's different from conviction. Remember, conviction leads you to Jesus. Condemnation just has you obsessed with yourself. But when you are having these condemning thoughts in your life, they are not from the Lord if you're a believer. They can't be. Because Jesus took the condemnation. I like to put it this way. Actually, this is from Horatius Bonner. When Jesus was on the cross, He took the wrath of God. And it so poured down on Him like it was never poured down on anyone It's so poured down on him that it was sufficient to take an eternity's worth of hell. And it's as it were, it was just collapsed and microwaved onto him for a multitude of people. And when God was so done and so satisfied after pouring out his wrath on his son, Jesus said one word in the Greek, three words in English, Tetelestai, meaning it is finished. Particularly, if I can nerd out with you for a second, in the Greek language, that tense, meaning it is definitively done, and the effects of that will 
affect you all the days of your life. But it can never be undone. Jesus says it is finished. And God the Father says, I'm satisfied. What does that matter for assurance of salvation? Whenever you're struggling with looking at your own sin, and you're tempted to say, I need to beat myself up, and then I can come to Jesus, or I need to go on a long enough streak without sinning this sin, then I can feel good about my relationship with God, or whatever it might be, what you're saying to God is that my standard is better than your standard. That's very audacious. Because God is telling you with all the sins, by the way, He knows everything, with all the sins that you have, with all the suffering that's in your life, He is telling you that He has so sufficiently poured out His wrath on His Son for you. He's saying, I'm good. You and I, we're good. There's no condemnation. That's amazing. So much so, and we'll have to speed up because I know it's 1017 and people are trying to walk in here. If you look at Romans 8.28, very famous verse. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. No matter what sin or suffering is in your life, God knows how to reverse the curse in your life for that is no longer your primary identity. It might describe your experience, but that is not the gripping thing of your life. So brothers and sisters, let me tell you this. What someone has done to you in the past, that's not your greatest identity. That's not your greatest story. That's not the thing that's gripping you most. Or the thing that you've done in the past. That's not what grips your life most. The grace of Jesus Christ is what grips you most. Amen? Amen. And that will follow you around all the days of your life like a good hunting dog. And like a good hunting dog, it ain't ever missing anything that's up in them trees. And God's grace, because of your union with Jesus, that is your story. That is your assurance. Dear believers, rest assured that in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven and you are clothed with His righteousness. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Father, we ask that You would let these truths sink into our hearts, that You would please relieve consciences, that You would bring those unbelievers to believe in Jesus Christ. That, Lord, I just hope and pray that if anything, that Christ was seen as all-glorious, that's, that's the only thing that matters. And that as a byproduct of that, that we might have assurance of salvation. I pray that this would hopefully be equipping to these students. They would know more and more of how to keep coming back to the Scriptures. But Lord, we know that You are good and You are glorious. And even like our dear brother, uh, Harry Reader, You will one day bring us all the way home where sin will be no more. And all we will know is your infinite love for all eternity. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.